We're in a series, a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes, and uh, this is a book that uh, doesn't get talked about a lot, but, it, but it's a great book that, that really deals with this struggle of wanting something more in life, and all of us want something more in life, and there's different areas that we've looked at, whether that's the search for meaning that we have, and how can we really have meaning, or the search for satisfaction and happiness, or the search for control in our life, but, but the big idea of the book of Ecclesiastes is we are all looking for something more out of life, and in in life and yet often struggle to find that. And, and one of the areas that we want something more in, one of the areas that we want something more out of is our relationships. Most of us would say our relationships could use some work, whether that's friendships or family or uh, co-workers or marriages or whatever that is. We, we usually, if we think about our lives, go, one of the areas I really want something more in is my relationships. This is a, a key area, obviously, that affects so much of our life. We, we all want community, right? We all want friendships and we all want healthy relationships. That's something that we want and something that we desire. It's something that um, the world around us, and not in a bad way, but knows that we want. I mean, if you look at advertisements about things, whether that's a chip commercial or a beer commercial or a car commercial or whatever it is, it's not usually just one guy by himself eating chips in the corner, right? Because no, everyone would go, that looks like a sad and lonely life. Although that's how we often eat chips, at least me, but it's not usually, not in the corner but in like my favorite chair or something. Anyways, that doesn't matter. But it's, it, that's not, uh, you, when, when people advertise, when they say, hey, look what your life could be, it's not just individuals by themselves. It's look, the people around you with chips or with a car and all your friends are going to get in the Subaru and go, you know, all the, in these amazing places that only a Subaru could take you. And only, only with friends can Cheetos bring people together and only, you know, Bud Light can make everybody happy or all these different things. It's with friends. Or if you, uh, for those of you maybe new to Denver and looking at different condos and apartments and you walk into the lobby or the banners outside, it's always these people and they're just having the best time of their life, you know, in their studio and. And then usually that's not what it is. It's you're, you know, by yourself watching Netflix. But uh, sorry if that's too real for some of you. But, but it's, we, we want community, right? That's something that we long for, that around us, that's part of what even gets used to advertise, look what life could be. That we want relationships, we want something more out of the ones we have. We, we may want more in quantity, but also just in quality, that we want something more out of the relationships we have. Just recently, um, a couple weeks ago, or, or about a week ago, uh, Facebook, it was, fa it was Friends Day. Some of you uh, had your friends post those weird, crazy Facebook video. I, maybe you didn't see it, or maybe you're not on Facebook, but it was Facebook Friends Day. And there's these videos that Facebook makes, and, and a couple years ago is when Zuckerberg or his, you know conglomerate, uh, started that, uh, that idea as Facebook Friends Day. And I, and I thought it was really interesting because the post that he made two years ago when they started this, it really, I think, gets at the heart of what we long for in relationships. And, and here's what, I don't know if you can read this, but I'll read it. Here's what Mr. Zuckerberg uh, said. It says, today is a great day to celebrate friends. It's also Facebook's birthday, but today isn't about celebrating us. It's about friendship. This sounds simple, but not often enough are we taught to celebrate friends. Growing up, we learn that homework and chores are more important and need to be done before we can spend time with friends. As adults, we're told we're responsible when we put our work ahead of our family and friends. Friendship isn't a distraction from the meaningful things in life. Friendship is what gives meaning to our lives. Our friendships make the world work. 
We laugh, we cry, and we learn with friends. We eat, we shop, and we work with friends. And when we fight for what we believe and change the world, we do that with friends too. As we all do our part in this journey to connect the world, it's important to remind ourselves to celebrate what's at the root of it all, friendship. Thank you for being a part of our community of friends. Let's turn today into a day to celebrate a friend. And I I think this gets at the heart of what we long for in a lot of ways, that that's the kind of friendship, that's that's what we think that friendship is. He he really kind of hits the nail on the head of why we long for friendship, why we desire friendship. So this is something that we long for, it's something we want, it's something we want more out of, and yet don't we find that our relationships are are difficult. If you do a a Google search and fill in relationships, whether those are friendships or marriage or all those things, I don't really understand the first one, but other than people hate it, relationships are like algebra, or relationships are hard, or relationships are work, or relationships are stupid. Maybe this is actually the progression that we work through. First, it's just like, I don't understand them, they're confusing. Then this is hard, this is a lot of work, they're stupid, forget it. Or if you say, okay, let's actually compare it, what are relationships like? Algebra still makes the list, but then farts, glass, and plants. And this is Google. This, isn't, this is not my history, okay? This is not me, uh, this is not me typing in. This is Google, okay? This is, the, this is collective wisdom of all of Google and what we search for. And I don't, you know, I don't understand all their algorithms, but the top thing besides algebra that we compare relationships to is farts. And I know that, I mean, what, none of this is positive, right? Relationships are like daisies, or relationships are like Disneyland. It doesn't say that. So here's the thing, that we long for something more in our life. And one of those areas is relationships. And we long for community and, and for relationships to work, whether that's our marriages or our friendships or our family relationships. We go, man, I want this to be beautiful. I want it to be what Zuckerberg kind of points at, and yet it feels like algebra or it feels like plants, whatever, you know, it, they wither and die or glass and they shatter. What, I mean, it's something that it's difficult. One of the most important areas, one of the areas we most want something more out of happens to be one of the most difficult areas, and it's discouraging. And oftentimes it, it leads to us going, is it me? Am I the problem? Is it them? Probably. Is it them? Is it me? What, what, what is it? Why is it that relationships are so difficult? And we come to Ecclesiastes, he says some of the same stuff. Not that relationships are farts, he probably never thought anyone would say that in conjunction with what he wrote a thousand, you know, several thousand years ago. But he talks about relationships, he talks about them, and he, he helps us understand some of, at the core, what gets in the way of us experiencing more in our relationships. And he talks about what the core of experiencing the good in relationships that we long for is. And so we'll look at this and we'll begin with, with this question. What keeps us from friendship? But, but take that category and apply it to all the different areas of relationship in your life. We'll, we'll focus on friendship, but I mean, you can apply this to your marriage, you can apply it to whatever, but what keeps us from experiencing the friendship that we long for. Why aren't our relationships what we hope for? Why are they so often frustrating? Why are they so often shallow? Why are they so often filled with conflict? What keeps us from experiencing what we hope to, what we long to? What keeps us from that? And, 
And he'll give us three things, and then we'll see what the core of those things are. So to begin with is this, Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 16. And he says, Then I saw all that all to- then I saw that all toil, all work, and all skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Now, he's talking about how a particular relational problem, envy, affects work. And, he, and he's talking about work and how that some of us are lazy. The fool folds his hands and ends up just consuming himself because of his laziness. Or, or some people are working too much, but it's striving after wind. It's better to kind of be content. But when he looks at work, he says, here's one of the key problems. Here's what happens whether there's laziness or whether there's striving. Here's what one of the key issues with work is. Here's what often drives our work. It's envy. Now, don't just think about work, though. This, this is true of so many relational problems that one of the key issues that keeps us from experiencing relational health, one of the key issues that messes up our friendships or messes up um, our co-worker relationships or all sorts of different, one of the key things that keeps us from experiencing what we long for is envy. And that's not something we think about a lot. I don't usually talk to people and they say, man, I'm really struggling with envy. I'm really struggling with feelings of wanting uh, someone else's life or what they have. Usually we don't talk about that a lot, but it is a key issue. It's a huge issue. What happens in envy is that we look at somebody else's life. We look at what they have in life, their status in life, their relationships that they have in life. They're married or they have kids or they have friends or they have success or they have a certain amount of money or they have a certain kind of house or or even attributes. They have certain characteristics. Man, they're really friendly and people like them or they're really hardworking or their spiritual life is great. We We look at people's lives. We look at their characteristics and we look at what they have and then we start to compare us to them. We want what they have. We look at us, we look at them, we want what they have and then the next step of envy is we begin to attack them. And it doesn't mean we physically attack them, we may, but often in our minds. See, what starts with, isn't it interesting that here's what envy does, you look at someone and go, I want that. But then in our hearts, we actually go, oh, they're, they're bad. We get bitter towards them. We get upset with them. We may gossip about them. Now, here's one of the key areas that we see that play out in. And, and, I, and it's not the only area, but it's a helpful illustration because I think we're all familiar with it. Social media. And this is something that a lot of studies and things have talked about. The New York Times a couple years ago had an article called The Agony of Instagram. Some of you could call that your life. And it says here about this lady, Erin Wurzel, 26, thought she had plenty to feel thankful about this Thanksgiving weekend. She's engaged to a great guy and was spending the holiday with his family, working on her first novel and and taking French with an eye to moving to Paris someday. Sounds great. Last line. Then she checked her Instagram feed. Dun, dun, dun. The agony of Instagram. Or this article, New York Post, uh, says, America's ugly epidemic of social media envy. And a quote that pulls out from that says this, people you know take more luxurious vacations than you do. Their relationships are closer and more loving. Their children better behaved and cuter. (laughs) Not just behaved, they're cute while they're behaving. 
And the evidence is right there on the web. A University of Michigan study released in August found that the more people use Facebook, the worse they feel about their own lives. And a study last December out of Oxford deemed Instagram to be even more envy-inducing. So social media is just one example of how envy plays out. I think it's one that usually we could go, yeah, I've experienced that. I've experienced that when I go on Facebook and I'm scrolling, I usually don't close my phone and go, man, I feel good, right? (laughs) Usually you either say, I hate my life, I can't believe I just wasted that much time, or you feel that envy in you. You might not even be able to identify it, but you feel that. And see, what the writer of Ecclesiastes says is one of the things, one of the things that hurts our relationships is envy. One of the things that starts to corrupt our relationships is we look at someone else's life, we compare our life to their life. We want what they have, but then instead of just going, man, I really want that, we actually begin to distance from them. We begin to feel a separation from them. We begin to not like them. We begin to mentally judge them. We begin, I mean, think about this. If you see somebody that is beautiful, usually you don't go, man, they're beautiful. That's awesome. You go, they're stuck up, I bet. You see somebody that's very successful. You don't go, man, that's, man, that's so good for them. I am so glad they got promoted instead of me. You say, they're a suck up. They are lucky. You know, somebody else gets promoted or somebody else, you know, does well in your career and you go, well, they're just lucky. You want what they have. You compare to what they have. And and instead of it building relationships, it creates a separation. It creates a distance because what envy does is it causes us to separate from other people. We look, we compare, we want, and then we attack. You don't look at other people's lives that feel very, you look at someone's life and man, it looks so joyful, it looks so happy, and you probably go, they're fake. Underneath, there's something. I bet behind the scenes, it's all crumbling as you're eating your Cheetos, you know, (laughs) it's uh, (laughs) while on Facebook, you know, it's, uh, but that's what envy does. Envy doesn't build relationships. Envy creates this distance. You want something and you compare and so it starts to break them down. The writer of Ecclesiastes said that often happens in a work situation. That we want what someone else has have, and that drives so much of our work. So this is one of, the, one of the things he gives us. And then skipping a little bit ahead in the text, well actually the next part of the text, he says that one of the second key issues is this. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, so this person has no other relationships in their life, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So here's what he says, one of the the other issues that hurts relationships is this striving for achievement, for success, for wealth. There was an article in Forbes that, and we, I won't really explore the article, but just the heading says, what no one ever tells you about friendship and success. And it's exploring this same issue, that oftentimes in our search for success and for achievement and for wealth and for getting ahead, what, what happens is this. We lose out on relationships. I mean, how many of you have felt this tension in your life of I'm too busy 
with my job or I'm too busy getting ahead or I'm too busy trying to work on uh, whatever it is, any sort of achievement, education or whatever it might be. I'm, I'm so busy with this that relationships start to fall out. And here's the thing that's really sad. A lot of times people think like this. I'm here in life. Five years from now, you know what I want? Man, I want my kids to be able to go to college. Maybe not five years, but I want my kids, maybe in the future. If you got a savant kid, you know, he's a genius. And I want my, I want my kids to have a great education, or I, I want to be able to go on nice family vacations, or, or I, I, you know what, I, I want to be able to, I want to have the ski pass and the fun and the money to be able to hang out with friends, and I want to be able to get a boat or a, a cabin to hang out with friends, and there's this stuff that's looked at five years down the road, ten years down the road, so right now, I'm digging in. Right now, I'm working hard. Right now. And he says, what happens, what happens is there's this person that's toiling and toiling and toiling and working and working and working. But at the end of the day, who's it all for? Because you can think, I'm doing this for some future version of relationships that will thrive. But how many, and in your own life, I'm sure, how many of us maybe had a dad or a mom that had that mentality and yet weren't around? How many of you have had friends like that that you, you wanted to have relationships with, but they stopped being around? And for those of you that are parents, you may view that same way of how your parents raised you, and it starts to affect you're not around with your kids. And we're busy, and we're working long hours at work, and we're trying to make a certain income. And man, I've seen so many times people that achievement in the corporate ladder, success, getting to the next position or making a certain amount of money, it, relationships is an afterthought. So they move places they shouldn't move. They take jobs they shouldn't take. They commute distances they shouldn't commute. And they do all of this stuff for achievement and relationships start to fall away. And so you've got all this money, but who to spend it on? And you've got all this success, but who's it go to? And you've got all this wealth, but your kids and your family don't like you. And you've got all, all of this stuff, but no one to use it with. And he says one of the things that hurts our relationships is this striving for achievement. And then, skipping ahead, there's this parable that he tells. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. So this person, that in some way, it's a rags-to-riches story, and there's all these people that he leads. All, I mean, he's, he's worked his way from the bottom to the top, even relationally, right? People like him now. He's the king and he leads all of these people. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. And there's other things in this parable, but one of the key points of this story is this. One of the key points of the story is that relationships ultimately, they don't live up to what we want them to be. That we can rise to the top where everybody likes us and everybody sees us. And yet, eventually, people don't care anymore. 
Eventually, even if you're the king, even if you've had a great success story, eventually what happens is this. People let you down and you let other people down. Eventually what happens is that relationships cannot provide the satisfaction that we long for and hope for. You can be the king of the world, like Leo. You can be the king of the world. And eventually people go, yeah, I'm not that impressed anymore. I once thought you were pretty cool, but eh, whatever. And the same happens with us and others. And see, one of the third things, or not one of the third things, the only third thing. (laughs) I have several third things. (laughs) I only learned to count to three. (laughs) So the third thing that hurts our relationships is these expectations that we put on them. These expectations, these burdens that we put on them to be something that they can't ultimately be. If if I'm the king and what I hope for is for people to be rejoicing in me and taking pleasure in me, they may for a little bit and yet the next person might not. The people that come after them might forget all about it, might not even care. See, the relationships will never live up to what we hope them to be. So here's the problem. Here's the problem with this one in particular, especially in the church, especially with Christians, is this. We talk a lot about relationships and how important relationships are. And the Bible is filled with talking about community and how important community is. And and we want you to join a community group and we want you to make friends and all of that. And I'm talking about relationships right now. And what happens is as we feel that, yeah, yes, that's what I want, that's what I need, that's, I need people like that in my life. What happens is we put these expectations and these burdens on people and they don't live up to them. We, we say, man, here's what community is supposed to be, here's what relationships are supposed to be, you're supposed to love me and serve me and care for me and encourage me and, and then people don't ultimately do that. The king had a whole you know, city of thousands and thousands of people that were impressed with him and he was getting what he needed, we would say, from, from their relationship. And then they turn on him. They let him down. And often what happens is this. We, we're told all the time how important relationships are and how great they are and how much we need them. But people can't live up to the expectations and the pressure that we put on them. And if our well-being, if our well-being, if our internal sense of okayness is dependent on other people, and their affirmation, or their living as a good friend to us, will be let down. Because people will always fail us in various ways. They'll never be able to live up to the ideal of what a friend should be and what a friend could be. see, when you bring people together, what happens? Sometimes great, beautiful things, sometimes joyful things, but also you bring people together and we're sinful people that bring our sin. And that just intensifies. It just adds. So here's what he says about relationships. He says they're great. And we'll we'll look at in one second where he he talks about the, the good in relationships. He says that they're great. The relationships are awesome. And he agrees with Zuckerberg that they're, they're great. They add all sorts of dimensions to our life that we long for, what we want. But ultimately, they'll fail you. 
And ultimately, they won't completely add the meaning to your life that we hope for and long for. And the core underneath all of those issues is this. The core underneath envy and the core underneath the striving for achievement and success and the core underneath longing for people to live up to something that they can't. The core underneath that is this. We are selfish. And that sin, one of the things that sin does in us is causes us to be concerned about ourselves. So when we look at other people's good things they have, we're not thinking about them, we're thinking about us, which is envy. We're selfish, and so we don't think about, we don't think about man, how can, I, how can I have relationships and be a good friend? Instead, we think about how can I get to some sort of status and achieve. And even when we come into Christian community, we're selfish. And we go, how can I find people that will be good friends to me, that are like me, that will help me, that will support me, And sometimes it's going really well, but a lot of times underneath that, we're using people. We're using people for what they give to us. And the expectations we put on them is if that fails, it'll break down. And the core underneath so many of our relational issues is this. There's a separation. We're not really really coming together with people. We are about us and focused on us, loving us and concerned for us. And it harms relationships. Maybe not in those ways. Maybe you don't recognize those in your own life, but it could be all sorts of other ways. But is there something better than this? Is there something that our friendships could be? Is there something that if we say, okay, yeah, that's I've felt that. My relationships have been affected by that. But but I want and I hope for something better than that, something more than that. And he paints a picture of what relationships could be, what they could look like. And, And so here's the part we skipped over that that we'll go to now. He says this, two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. They work hard and they have someone to share it with. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Uh, and then he ends with this. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here's what he tells us about what our friendships could be. He, he paints a beautiful picture. That yes, there's all sorts of relational drama. And yes, our marriages and our friendships and our co-working is, is affected by this selfishness, this envy, this achievement, this separation, this expectations, but he says, here's what they could be. Here's what it could look like. And he gives us really two big categories. Friends that that care about our joy. That's what we need in our life. Friends that care about our joy. Not friends that are envious, not friends that see our joy and, and want it for themselves, but friends that care about our joy. He says that there's this toil and they have, because there's two, they have, they have someone to share the reward with of the toil. That there's two people working hard together and they get to say, man, we have the reward of sharing in this together now. Two are better than one because a friend cares about your reward. And that can be in all sorts of things, but that friends care about our joy. Friends are for your enjoyment. This is, we all know this. 
They want friends for the good times, right? They want friends to ski with and hang out with and eat dinner with. And you, you don't want to just have life by yourself, but have friends that say, man, I'm here to enjoy life with you. We work hard together, we play hard together, and we share in the rewards. So that's the first thing he says. We could, we could have friends in our life, two are better than one, because friends care about your joy. But, but even beyond that, that friends, the kind of friends that we need, that we long for, friends are willing to be hurt for you. And he goes through three different scenarios of somebody falling down and somebody being there to pick them up, and somebody that gets attacked there's, I don't whatever situation they're in, somebody's getting attacked, and he says, man, if you got, you got your boy with you, you're going to win the fight. You got three with you, you're really going to win the fight. And you get jumped. This is a practical verse for all you street fighters. <laughs> and then he says that if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? It's the cuddle verse. All you wives can quote that to your husbands, you know. <laughs> but with all three of those scenarios here, I mean, that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about in the desert, people would travel and, and the temperatures drop severely and they have to lie next to each other to create body heat. Okay? But you can, you can use it out of context for a cuddle verse. <clears throat> <clears throat> but if you're ever in the desert and it's freezing, then you can use it for what it's really meant. But here's what he's saying in all three of those. Friends are willing to be hurt for you. Friends are willing to be attacked for you. Friends are willing to, when you fall down, not go, well, that sucked for you, and move on. But be there and fall with you and pick you up. And friends are willing to, in the middle of the desert, be about your safety and protecting you. Friends are willing to be hurt for you. See, we, we want friends that are about our joy. And wouldn't it be great to have friends in your life that say, man, I love when stuff good happens in your life. I'm for your joy. And they're not envious, but they're truly for you. But we also need friends that are willing to be hurt for us. Friends that are willing to when we fall. And here's the truth. He says, when you fall. Here's the truth. We will fall. You will fall in your life spiritually and that you will struggle with doubt and you will struggle with sorrow and you will struggle with irritation and bitterness and there will be someone that you struggle to forgive and, and there will be questions you have about God and, and you'll struggle with sins in your life that, that you don't know why they're still there and, and you can't stop them and you will fall. And you need friends that don't say, well, that's, when you get that together, let me know. But that are willing to be hurt for you. See, as a friend, it hurts when someone else is going through something rough. That takes our time, it takes our energy, it takes our prayer. Often whatever they're going through, it starts to affect our sleep and our thoughts. And, and he says, you need friends that when you fall, don't run away, but are there. And you need friends that when you're getting attacked, in whatever the way that is in your life, maybe it's physically, maybe it's financially, that man, you, you got bills you can't pay. Or you've got health issues and you can't manage them. Or, or, or you've got, you've got uh, marriage issues. Or you've got whatever it is. that there's, there's stuff happening to you. You fall and you suffer and you go through hard times. And he says you need friends that are willing to be hurt for you. That are willing to say, I'm going to be hurt for you. 
I'm going to bear your burdens and not say, I'll pray about it. Let me know when it's fixed. You need friends that will say, you're hurt, so I'll be hurt with you. You're hurt, I'll take some of that on myself. When that happens. He says, you need friends that care about your joy, but you also need friends that are willing to be hurt for you, that aren't just there for the good times, but also for the bad times. Here's what he's saying with, with all this. We can't do life alone. You and me cannot do life alone. We're not meant to fall and stay down. We're not meant, we're not meant to be attacked and lose. We're not meant to freeze to death in the desert, metaphorically speaking, or physically. We're not meant for that. We're meant for more. See, in all those scenarios, if somebody is by themselves, the natural outcome just happens. They fall, they don't get up. They get beat up, they get beat up and bleed out in the alley. They're in the desert, they freeze. But he says, that's not what you're meant for. You're meant for more than that. You're meant to thrive. You're meant to live life. Look, there's a, you know, a phrase, which is fine, but the army, you know, they say, be all you can be. What this says is be more than you can be. You see, we're not just made to be all we can be. We're made to be more than we can be through other people in our life. Because all you can be is, okay, I can fight someone one-on-one, unless you're Jackie Chan or whatever, right? Like, I can fight someone one-on-one. That's what you're made for. That's all you can be. All you can be is, if I fall, eventually I'll be able to pick myself up by my bootstraps. But he says, you need some, you need You need to be more than you can be by having others in your life. You need to be more than you can be by having other people. See, you and me are made for community and to flourish and to thrive, not just independently, but with other people in our lives. This is what he's telling us. This is what he's saying our relationships could be, that if we have a depth of relationship, if we, have, if we have people in our life like this, this is who we're truly made to be. And the core of it all, he says, the core of it all, he, he gives this, this ending note. And he says two, he says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's how he ends the section. So he looks at relationships and he says, here's what strong relationships are like. They're like, a knot. They're like a cord. Now we talk about this in marriage, right? Tying the knot. And here's what that means. Here's what tying the knot means. Here's, here's what that language of, this is no one I know, this is just uh, clip art, so, or whatever, you know. <clears throat> Some of you are like, I'm going to do that at my wedding, you know. But he, here's what it is. Here, here's what it is. The core of good relationships is this oneness, this unity. And again, we think about that in marriage of we're, I'm this part of the knot and you're this part of the knot and we're tying together. But in friendships, he says, it's a cord of people that are bonded together. So there's a unity, there's a oneness. And here's what happens. This is the core of relationships. The core of relationships is I look at you, you look at me, and we say we're in it together. We're one. 
So I'm not just thinking about my interests anymore. I'm thinking about yours. Why? Not just because I'm a good person, but because I'm attached to you. We are one now. So that your hurt is my hurt, and your joy is my joy, and your battle is my battle, and your struggle is my struggle, and your money is my money, and my money is your money, and my stuff is your stuff, and my place is your place, and my life is your life, and your life is my life. But there's a oneness. There's a bonding that takes place where we don't view each other separate. We don't view it as, I'm over here, and so if you've got something good, maybe I'm envious. I'm over here, and so I'm really focused on my goals, and if you fit into them, great. I'm over here, and so if you can affirm me, and you can give the expectations that I want, okay, great. He says, no, that's, it's not this separation. Because the core of good relationships is this, not just practices of good stuff you do, if you're there for each other, and you're, but it's this viewpoint of we're bonded. We're one. Like a rope that we belong to one another. There's this radical participation in each other's life that says, I, look, do you view this with your relationships? I belong to you. We are very independent and very individualistic, especially in America. But what would happen in our relationships if it was, I belong to you? That's what he's talking about. That's a cord that is bonded together where you can't tell where one part of the rope begins and one part of the rope ends, but it's we belong to one another. We are one with one another. We are united to one another. This is what our relationships could be. But how do we get those kind of friendships? How do we move from experiencing the separation in our relationships that creates difficulty? How do we move from that to relationships that are, I belong to you and you belong to me, and so everything flows out of that? How do we learn that kind of love in our relationships? See, most of the time in our relationships, most of the time in, in, your, in your life, we learn what we learn of how to do relationships from other people. You learned a lot of how to do marriage from your parents, whether you like it or not, if, if you're married or even if you're not married. Some of you, that probably frightens you. You learned a lot of how to be a friend from other friends that you've had in your life that have been a friend to you. You've learned a lot about how to be a boss if, if you're somebody that uh, employs others from other employees, employers that you've had. And you've learned a lot about how to be a, a worker from other co-workers that trains you. And we learn a lot about how to do the various kind of relationships that we have from relationships. So how do we learn to get those kind of friendships? We learn by looking at Jesus and seeing the kind of friend that He's been to us. See, if we look at Jesus, we get to the New Testament, Ecclesiastes is never the end of the story. We get to the New Testament and we look at Jesus' life. We see in him the friend that each of us longs for. See, when we read what Zuckerberg says, we go, that's awesome. I want that. When we read what he says about a friend that's there when you fall and a friend that's there to fight for you and is willing to be hurt for you and attacked for you and a friend that's willing to be there and unite himself to you. When we read that stuff, 
We long for those kind of friends, but every friend you've ever had in your life and ever will have in your life will fail you and let you down. I'm not saying that in a cynical way, like don't make friends, but just it will happen. And the closer people are to you, the more they'll hurt you and let you down. It doesn't mean don't do relationships. It just means that's the reality. And the friendship that we truly long for is something that is not in this world. But when we look at Jesus, you know what we see? We see a friend that was willing to pick us up when we fall in a much greater way than any friend here will ever do. See, the Bible calls the fall sin. See, when God created the world, it says that it fell, that we turned our backs on God, that we became bad friends to God, that we separated ourselves from God, which is the core of what sin always does in all relationships to God and to one another. We separate ourselves from Him. We have expectations of Him that He doesn't live up to in our minds. We, we're even envious of what God has and want to be like God, the Bible says. That we have this posture in our heart. And the Bible calls that the fall. But you know what it says about Jesus? That He came to pick us up when we fell. And He didn't just reach down His hand. God came to this earth against those that were bad friends to Him to pick them up from the fall. That's the friend that we long for. And a friend that's for our joy. Jesus says when he came to this world, I came to bring life and life to the full. Didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. I came to bring life to you. That's a friend that is committed to and wants our joy. And Jesus is the friend that in the middle of the fight, he doesn't just say, I'll be here and I'll fight with you. He says, I'll actually die for you. In the middle of the fight, I'll sacrifice myself for you. That, that though we are and have been acting as bad friends to God in the various selfish ways, Jesus says, you know what? Here's what a good friend does. He fights for you in the middle of the battle. But I'm a better friend than that. I'm a friend that's willing to actually die for you in this battle. That's what we look at when we look at the cross, that Jesus goes to the cross to die for us, to remove our sin, remove our guilt, remove our shame, forgive us, cleanse us. That's Jesus entering the fight, not side by side with us, but saying, I'm going to do it for you. I'll actually lose the fight for you. And then he won through the resurrection. You see, Jesus is the friend that we long for who picks us up when we fall, not just with a hand that reaches down, but coming from heaven to earth. He's the friend that we long for that wants our joy so passionately. He's the friend that we long for that in the middle of the fight is willing to die for us. He's the friend that we long for that is willing to be hurt for us. That's what we long for in our friendships and that's what Jesus has done for us and what he's given to us. Now here's what happens when we see that. I was saying that we, we learn friendship from people. When you begin to experience that from Jesus, when you begin to take time and spend time with him and see how good of a friend he's been to you, when we feel that, when we see that, when that's real to us, when the friendship of Jesus is real to us, what happens is we can become those kind of friends to others. You see, Jesus was the friend that was for our joy, willing to be hurt for us, and united himself to us. That's what the Bible says. It says that he actually united himself to us. 
that he says, I want you to be one with me, which is the core of what the writer tells us is friendship. And when we experience that, here's what we can do. Here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he was in prison when he's writing this, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And that calling, it's not talking about jobs and that kind of calling. It's talking about the calling that I just described. That Jesus has called us into this oneness with himself, this relationship with himself, with all that he's done. He says, I want you to walk worthy of that calling that you've been given. And what does that look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Here's what he's saying. Here's what the calling is that you've been given. You've been united to Jesus. And out of that unity, as you experience that and learn that and receive that, you are then united to others. And you're able to live in a way that says, I belong to you. I'm tied in accord with you. I'm yours and you're mine because Jesus made us his and we're together. And out of that is what flows the kind of friendship that we long for, that the writer of Ecclesiastes gives to us. When we receive that from God, that changes us to be good friends to one another. When we receive from him a friend that was willing to be hurt for us, wanted joy for us, and united himself to us, If that was real to us, wouldn't that change our relationships? Wouldn't that make them one of unity? So here's what this means, just practically for us. If you're new, if you're new, and we've had so many new people visiting and checking things out, man, we want you to have community, to be bonded with other people, to be in a community group, to be in LTGs, which are our smaller cords, to live the life that God designed you for, to know people and be known by them and be united to them. See, here's the thing. You need that. We all do. But not just that. Others need it from you. So if you're new, this is my encouragement to you. If you're not new, you've been here for a long time, it's still the same thing. This is how God designed us to be to be united to one another, to belong to one another. Imagine if we had those kind of relationships in our life that were shaped by how Jesus has been to us. When we take communion, that's what we remember, that Jesus had his body broken and had his blood shed. He was willing to be hurt for us, for our joy to unite himself to us, to give us the kind of friendship that we need to create the community that is the friends that we are called to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you that you give yourself to us. I pray that you would let this reality change us. That you would let it sink deeply into our hearts. That we would not view ourselves as independent, but we would see and view ourselves as united to you. God, thank you for not just saving us in some abstract way, but bringing us to you, uniting us to you, giving us yourself as Father, as Savior, as King, yes, but as friend. 
the true friend that we have always longed for and always needed. Let that be real to us, even as we sing and even as we pray and even as we take communion, God. Let those truths sink deeper into our hearts. And I pray, God, for anyone in here that struggles with relationships, that struggles with loneliness, that struggles with discouragement, that maybe is new and and doesn't know people and, and is scared of this, God, that you would use this even now to draw them in to the relationships that you long for for them. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.